0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Pillar Podcast, the podcast that brings you great Catholic conversation each week. Ho, ho, ho. This is... Is this our Christmas episode? Maybe. Maybe. I didn't even say who I am. I'm your host and Pillar Editor-in-Chief, J.D. Flynn. And I'm joined by my podcasting partner and Pillar co-founder, Ed Condon. And this is not our Christmas episode. This is... We are recording this episode the week before... um, I suppose we we could really say the week before the week before Christmas. Uh and that that just throws me for a loop a little bit because you know today's the last day of school before Christmas and these kind of things so it feels like Christmas is just around the corner but it's really more than a week away.
1: I mean if this turns out to be our Christmas episode I will be disappointed. I feel like I what I would like to do JD and people can you know what this is we can road test this cuz this is something we meant to talk about earlier this week and um I don't know why, but for some—well, part of it was you—we'll talk about this later. We haven't actually gotten to <laughs> spend as much time on the phone this week as we normally do. On, we I, have
0: not. I have, We have not been spending that much time together this week, and, and I, I can—it sounds like you've been missing me. and I
1: year. have, J.D. Um, but one of the things that I had wanted to talk to you about this week was the possibility of a Christmas episode next week. And I was wondering—I was going to sort of sound you out on the idea of doing a, a Christmas episode, but what if we did a sort of Christmas drinks party— episode thing
0: i don't know what christmas drinks party episode thing
1: means neither do i but i mean i'm aware that other people <laughs> no but hear me <laughs> out i'm aware that other people do things like they will do a live sort of a live recording if that isn't a complete tautology or a complete contradiction in terms um
0: record before a live studio audience effectively
1: effectively um but as sort of if we but do that with you know a, a sort of
0: zoom drinks Party. so you're wondering if we should invite a couple of people to come onto the show next week and we'll have a sort of christmas have some people on the show episode
1: yeah yeah that would be cool we, we could invite a few people we could just see who shows up i don't know I don't.
0: okay well so this is not our christmas episode and we will have a meeting that is not on the show to talk about what our christmas episode is but this is our well i
1: but i mean to be clear we do this for for our listeners
0: Yeah, of course. For the the family of the Pillar podcast. For the family of the Pillar podcast, there's very little that I would not do. This is our O Antiphon episode. Is that fair to say, Ed? That's fair to say. And I mean,
1: the reason I'm saying all of this now is like, you know, if people have clever ideas for what we could do for a Christmas
0: episode. Oh, if you have a clever idea for what we can do for our Christmas episode, we would love to hear from you. Now we need to hear from you relatively quickly because Christmas is just around the corner. The goose is getting fat, as it were. Um, But if you have a Christmas episode (laughs) pitch for us, what should people do, Ed? Uh, Well, I
1: I think probably the Twitters is the best way.
0: Reach out Uh, to us on Twitter. But if you're not a Twitterer, I don't want to exclude people who are not a Twitterer. If you have a Christmas episode idea and you are not a Twitterer, then you can email us or leave a comment in the... the, uh, The episode post of this episode on our website, PillarCatholic.com. You may listen to it in other places, but you can leave a note there. Um, There are any number of things you can do, really, to reach out to us. You should know how to reach out to us. Um, You can find our email addresses even on our website, PillarCatholic.com. So the point is, if you have ideas for what we should do for our Christmas episode, tell them to us. Tell tell them
1: to us because we lack creativity. We're very boring. (laughs) (laughs) we, We write factual things that we... Learn so you know making right. stuff up isn't really in our nature.
0: We listen to effectively what people say and then we write down what people say. Yeah. That is the job. That is the job of the of the journalist. We listen and we write down. We are we are scribners.
1: Don't say that. I don't like that word. Scribners. I don't like that word.
0: Well, I prefer to say it. That doesn't work. um Ed, why don't you tell everyone what the O antiphons are? And why this is a the R O antiphon episode?
1: Uh, well, the O antiphons are when we sort of click over into the immediate run up to to Christmas and the Christmas season. We, we have these famous antiphons in the liturgy of the hours and in the, the liturgy more widely in the church that start saying things like "O come," hence "O come, O come, Emmanuel," things like that. That you know, they become these sort of great um, eschatological heraldings of the of the coming Savior. Um, mm-hmm. Which orient us better and better, uh, not just to the Feast of the Nativity, which is around the corner, but also to um, the coming of Christ at the end of time. Um, and it, at least for me, they, they have a certain poetry. People make a big thing about the yeah, O. What antifinals.
0: day are we in today? What is today? Oh, I'm trying to remember now. I thought it was wisdom. I think it's wisdom. It probably yeah. is. That,
1: yeah. <sighs> mm-hmm. um, the problem I have is I, I have taken to, I think I said this earlier. Um 'Cause we have the baby now, um, I have taken to praying earlier and earlier in the morning. hmm And so my, my recall of the prayers once said, uh is is imperfect.
0: Oh, I see. I'm very sorry to hear that. But I think that's what's going on, is I think today is the is today is the invocation of, of wisdom, okama wisdom, as it were. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Great. Well, what a oh, wise one, um where O oh, wise one shall we begin? Um
1: We could talk about Rafael Mencioni, Raffaele Mencioni's surprisingly
0: gifted ability to sell Parma Ham. We can talk about Raffaele Mencioni's surprisingly gifted um ability to sell parma ham, and that will give me the ability to kvetch about something that I wish to kvetch about. So I'm really glad to hear that. So um uh let's do that. So Raffaele Mencioni, if you don't uh, no is a business an Italian businessman who um is indicted in the Vatican City state right now because he uh, allegedly um was a bad actor when he sold the the uh, a London luxury condominium building to the Holy See in two thousand and eighteen. What else can be said of Raffaele mencioni Ed? well he has amongst
1: the many holding companies that Rafael mencion has and we reported this because i I want to stress we are good reporters we don 't like to paint myopic one dimensional pictures of people that only accord with our priors that we like but to report we also things
0: reported it because for us it was wildly entertainment well, it's entertaining. also
1: wildly entertaining i mean, uh, I mean fundamentally the the only reason we set up the pillar well there were two reasons to set up the pillar one was to to do what we did uh according to our own standards and no one else's and also so that we could amuse ourselves and have fun um, and this kind of ticked both boxes as far as i was concerned but uh, amongst his holding companies is a thing called wrm group which is a uk um, registered company i believe and one of their holdings was last year they bought uh, the Kipre group, uh, which is sort of, you know, an umbrella group for Parmaham producers and distributors and has sort of prosciutto. the way they do it they is make like make prosciutto. Yeah. Um, they, and, and the way like, you know, in regions that have, you know, in Italy and also in France, but we'll keep to Italy for this, that have sort of regionally protected products like. Parmesan. Like
0: champagne, for example, or Parmesan or any number of things exactly. that the Italian that the European Union only lets you say are with the thing if they come from the thing. And
1: one of the many reasons why the UK left the EU was they grant all these regional protections to Italian and French products, but will you give would they give one for cheddar cheese? No.
0: What about Stilton? Exactly. So the European Union only allows you to name your sparkling wine champagne if it's from the champagne region. But you can name your cheddar cheese cheddar cheese no matter where it comes from. It's yep. unless, instead of from the Despite cheddar Despite numerous region. applications. There's a cheddar region? It's a city. Cheddar is a city? Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Is a city? Cheddar is a city? There's a city of cheddar? And I've not known about it?
1: I'm just going to let you effort this. I kind of want to see your face.
0: <laughs> cheddar is a village, Ed. Cheddar is a village in Somerset. With a with a population of less than six thousand people, Cheddar may be a, a region, but Cheddar is not a city. Five thousand people is city. Well, anyway, why are we talking about? Okay, so um, so Rafael anyway, Mencione. It,
1: so it's the the way that what I was going to say is the way that you know you can have shares in sort of um, the production of things in the region where you've got lots of small producers who sort of band together and produce this one regional product. Anyway, the point is, um, Mincioni's company bought this. Umbrella group for a lot of um, parma ham, prosciutto company, prosciutto Production companies. Company. Last year, for about forty million and change euros, uh, there was they had they were overlevered in their debt. There was a court ordered restructuring, and his company snapped him up, and they flipped him this year for double the money. They just sold it on, or not even all of it. It looks like they he sold, just sold part, part of part
0: of his prosciutto company for he sold, eighty million. He euros. Off, you know what? We didn't do that. In the, the oh, end. he sliced. He off. sliced off some of the prosciutto company oh. to sell it. Um, thinly, And he sold it for 80 million euros. And best as we can figure, uh, what, pro- what might have happened is that Raffaele Mencioni bought a prosciutto company at a time when exports were, you know, far more under wraps than they are right now due to a little something called the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. I don't know the if The whole thing was going bankrupt and, anyway because uh, it was in court. Yeah, the whole thing was going bankrupt anyway, and it wasn't able to export anything. So we think Raffaele Mencioni snapped up this prosciutto company and then just held it until he was able to begin exporting prosciutto again because... This prosciutto company that Raffaele Mancioni owns and now just sold for double the money he paid for it is the exclusive supplier of prosciutto, certain kinds of prosciutto, to Whole Foods Markets, which is you know a big, big. Thing. It's not a bad contract to have, I would imagine. If you're, it's not. Yeah, it's if, not. if you're so, selling
1: this kind of stuff. I, anyway, I'm just. I'm amazed. I mean, I. It just goes to show you. However, what
0: does it go to show you?
1: Well, I was going to say, however disastrous and suspicious his investment of Vatican money in, say, Sierra One bonds or Time and Life no penalty loans or um, a building, a certain building at Sixty Sloane Avenue, where the guy had a nose for a deal on this one. Um, the guy, yeah,
0: the guy, he he sniffed it out like an acorn in, a, in an Italian wood. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying. He's sniffed out like an I, I, I also was well, reaching for trouble. a sort of rotting pig. He, yeah, he sniffed out like thing. a truffle in the in an Italian yeah. forest. How about that? Yeah, that'll work. In, in, in the Apennines, do you yeah, like okay. truffles? Uh, yeah, I mean, as much as the next guy. Yeah, fine.
1: I don't know how much the next guy likes them. I, love I them. don't know
0: either. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm not the sort of person who's like, oh, you've got to try the truffled French fries or something like that. But oh sure, no, yeah, in, I mean,
1: anything that they make with sort of quote unquote truffle oil, truffle that's, oil, right? Yeah, that's
0: fake. But sure, but if I'm in a really lovely restaurant, which means I'm not paying, and someone comes by and I offers to shave truffle over my pasta, I'm going oh, to say yeah, yes. different. Yeah, I yeah. mean, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, right. I mean, I'm going to say yes to that. Yeah, some people don't like them. Some people have strong reactions against them.
1: Well, They're I'm wrong, fine with truffles.
0: Yeah, I okay. also like a chocolate truffle if I can have that. Um, that's probably probably my preferred or at least more frequent truffle consumption. Um, but yeah, so Mincioni did this thing, and this, and so the. the 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 company that he just sold, and he just sold off his prosciutto company to a Brazilian sort of meat distributor, and they got four pack. They got the brands. They got four plants in Italy, uh, and then they got a meat slicing plant in New Jersey. Which you know, <laughs>
1: um, I mean, and uh, right right after a uh, oh, garbage landfill, meat slicing factory is what you want in New Jersey. If, oh, if you, you know.
0: can, if you own a meat slicing factory in New Jersey, I suspect that you are. Uh, in a very good position in, you know, I suspect that you do not lack for business, some of it off the books, but nevertheless, do not lack for business.
1: Wouldn't you think I, I've seen the Sopranos, um, and that, that is, I think a more or less accurate representation of New Jersey, give or take. Uh, And they have a, they have a deli and meat processing, slicing installation in that show, I believe.
0: Oh, okay. Well, at any rate, this is what I'm this is this is why I wanted to talk about this. Um because we wanted to report this interesting information to you because we wanted you all to know about Raffaele Mencioni's prosciutto holding company. Why did we want you to know that? I, I don't know anymore, but because we wanted you to know this. Uh it was uh, on Wednesday that um uh, Ed wrote this up. We saw the articles Ed wrote it up. Um I had the distinct pleasure of punching it up, which is my favorite thing to do with a story like this is to toss in some you know, ham puns, as it were, although you, you came through with some good ham puns as well. Um, and then I had the job of going to Whole Foods to take a photograph of Raphael Mencioni's prosciutto so that we could post on the website with the story of photographs of Raphael Mencioni's prosciutto. Now, on Wednesday in Colorado was one of the windiest days in Colorado history. We had a windstorm. And I live in the, effectively, the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, which means that the wind came whipping down the mountains and, and across my town and then into the plains of colorado kind of missing the city of denver because the city of denver is in a bowl a lot of people don't know that but denver is in a sort of a geographic bowl and so a lot of weather kind of goes right over denver but the wind was whipping down the mountains all day and gusting very very heavily and that's not a common thing i don't know about you ed but i don't i don't typically i don't sound like i i don't live at kitty hawk or something you know i don't know a lot about wind gusts or have them as a regular part of my experience and so when I parked my car at Whole Foods, I made a critical mistake. I parked effectively. I, I should have parked into the wind. Oh, um, you parked your back to the wind. But I parked with my back to the wind. And uh, what that means is that when I opened my car door, um, a gust, and I didn't time this. I didn't think about this. Uh, I op- As I opened my car door, a gust mm. came, a very, very fast gust. I, I mean, things started cascading across the parking lot and carts and... Uh, small children and whatnot and my own son who was with me was sort of very nervous he was saying dad hold on to me so I don't blow away although we're still in the car but anyway as I opened the car door this very strong gust shot across the parking lot and I lost my grip on the car door and it it swung all the way around it just swung all the way around um, and I swore uh, and uh, then I apologized to my son because I swore and uh, then I tried to close the door and I realized that the door hinge had kind of long story short I have to call a body shop I think and get my car fixed now because um it spun so much around that uh that it it dented the panel in front of it which I don't care about the dents I mean it you know I I don't have a car that I care about the dents but I can't I effectively I can close the door but not in a very smooth motion by any stretch of the imagination and I yeah. Mm-hmm. So I I'm sorry to hear that. Sound. But I'm glad yeah. that you were so committed to the story that you were. I was so committed to the story. That's the kind of journalistic, you know, uh, adventuring that I'm willing to do is to rush out into a windstorm to get Rafael, pictures of Raffaele Mencioni's uh, ham. Yeah. So then that happened. And so I was in, not in a foul mood, but just in a sort of a, a mood of anxiety. You know, if something on your car breaks that you think is going to cost you like $9,000 or something like that, you know, you're kind of anxious. And so I went to Whole Foods. I was a little bit anxious about this. And, um... And uh, and then I asked, effectively, a guy where Raffaele Mincioni's ham was. <laughs> and he didn't know what I was talking about because we hadn't published the story yet. Um, and so right. And instead, he, would, he would
1: no doubt have known, had he.
0: R- right. I mean, I said, like, excuse me, can you direct me to Mr. Mincioni's ham? And he said, uh, uh, we have uh, a Christmas ham, sir. And I said, no, 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 no. His, his prosciutto. And he said, oh, well, I don't know what that is, but we have prosciutto in the delicate, So it took me a little while to find Mincioni's prosciutto. And then um, right as I was about to take a picture of it, and of course I wanted to do that discreet, you know, these two big prosciuttos in the deli case, I wanted to do it discreetly, um, Davy, my son, started kind of getting loud because there was a cookie case and he wanted the cookies and I told him he was going to have to wait because I wanted to discreetly take these prosciutto pictures. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, like, I I don't think there are very many children in Whole Foods. And so like two employees came over to me relatively quickly and stopped, obviously six feet away. Um, but asked, you know, if they could help me with anything. And I said, no, no, it was fine. And so I, I they were kind of watching me at that point. So we went over to the cookie case and I let them pick out a cookie and they were still watching me, but and I had to take this photograph. And so I did something, Ed, that I'm not proud of. I lied in service of a story. And that's not ethically, journalistically. What did but you do? What I did, Davey, as I said, or, or Ed, what I did, Ed, is I said out loud to my son, as loudly as I possibly could, well, let me take a picture of these meats and text it to mom so we can see what she wants on her sandwich. And uh, he said, oh, okay. I brought. I mean, I brought my son into this. Oh, that's pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> That's pathetic. I, and, uh, I mean, you know, they're watching, you know, they're watching me, they're... they're so what? They're, it's not it a criminal offense to take well, a picture of no, overpriced How many questions food? do you want to answer about it, right? How many questions do you want to answer about it subsequently, right? After you've done well, you this have, the I'm sorry, I thought this was America. Don't was you prefer- don't have to answer questions. <laughs> this is God, this is, you will see, when you have a child who begins making a scene in public, you will see, especially in a place where children are not, you will see the kind, the way in which you're stigmatized, that you've never been stigmatized before. I mean, suddenly they're looking at you like you're going to let your children get its fingerprints Friends, your child, gives oh, on those oh, they were delicates. surrounding
1: you not because you were trying to take a photograph of no, the they, cured meats. No, they were meats, watching but... me
0: very, very carefully because Davey had, had this little, you know, had gotten upset because he wanted a cookie and I told him he had to wait on a cookie and everything. And so that's what brought all the Whole Foods employees towards me and then after that they were just watching me like a hawk Whoa. you know so okay well that makes that, sense i
1: mean the the kind of people i don't want to stereotype here but the kind of people who shop at whole foods are not the kind they're the kind of people who call people like you and me breeders jake
0: right well let me just say this if i had knelt down on the floor in front of the deli case right after that and just started snapping pictures of ham you know, I don't know what would have happened, but I think it could have been worse in some way, right? I mean, I'm not looked really for a better story. I'll it be honest with you. Me. I don't know. So I just said this, charade, I said, let's take a pictures of the meat to see what mom wants. And uh, and we took the pictures. And then, you know, and then the, what I could have done actually now that I think about it is text my wife and asked her if she wanted any of these meats. But I didn't do that because they were so expensive. Raffaele Mincioni's prosciutto is so expensive. And I have to now spend $9,000 or probably $500 or something on my car. So there was no way that I was going to buy Raffaele Mencioni prosciutto. So I had to lie. I mean, and I, I didn't have to lie, but I did. And I, I guess I, I need to confess it now. Uh, okay. That's, anyway, that's, that's what happened. wildly complicated. I didn't yeah. realize it was
1: anywhere near as involved for you to get well, those and so pictures. then we
0: went out and he had these cookies. Oh, so then, oh, geez. So, I, so he he wanted these cookies that were shaped like Christmas trees. And one of them was green. And uh, one of them was uh, purple and white striped. And that, that's what he wanted. And 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 again, these cookies were like a lot more than I would spend on a cookie. And so I told him he could have them. But I I, I also told him that he had to eat them in the car before we got home. Because I wasn't buying cookies for the other kids. Right. So then we went out to the parking lot. And he was fussing because he was saying he didn't want to eat them in the car. When he got home, he wanted to eat them while he was reading his mouse cookie book at home. You know, he' he'd, and then to open my car door, I had to, like, yank and tug on my car door while I have this kid fussing. And so I just, I had to get out of there as quickly as possible. And when indeed, he didn't eat the cookies in the car. He he hung on to them and then got mad at me because I told him he couldn't eat them at home. So it was a whole to-do. I mean, this is, I'm just saying, I am really committed to this craft of, of journalism is all, all I want you, you are, to know.
1: Um, and the worst part <laughs> was, you then had to go without power for several days, which I was going to ask you all about. But frankly, we had a lot more time... Go to the Whole Foods section that I thought
0: we were going to. Oh, yeah, sure. But I think this is what the people... You know, right before Christmas, I think this is what the people... Want. I think they want news, but okay. <laughs> okay. Well, we've given them some news, and let's talk about some more. We reported this morning a really interesting story that is connected to a story that I have been interested in, actually, for a very, very long time. Um, we reported this morning that... Um, in 2017 and 2018, and yeah, 2017, and 2018, the USCCB developed, a, or 2016, 2017, 2018, really, the USCCB developed a document that um, addressed, uh, among other things, sort of pastoral issues um, in the life of the church related to people who identify as transgender, and uh, and and sent that report to Rome before it was going to be voted on by the U.S. bishops. And uh, it went to Rome, but it was effectively spiked by the Vatican's Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, who asked the U.S. bishops to wait before publishing that because the CDF said it was going to publish its own document on um, on this issue of, of pastoral issues related to people who, who, who identify as transgender. We also reported that the CDF developed a document on this issue of pastoral and sacramental issues related to people who identify as transgender, that in 2018, they circulated that document among senior Vatican officials. We got a copy of that document um, and... Um, they never published it. That effectively, for the last two and a half or three years, um, two sets of sort of guidelines or principles, both theological principles and sort of practical principles related to pastoral and sacramental ministry of people who identify as transgender, and I think people in the USCCB document who identify as uh, as gay or lesbian as well, um, uh, have been effectively sitting in drawers while bishops in, in dioceses um, have, have developed policies on this and in some ways have sort of taking heat for developing policies on this that are that are controversial
1: yeah it's i yeah. i it you know the the we talked a little bit about the marquette policy um on the show last week you know these uh these policies that were issued by the diocese of marquette in michigan uh, in july but you know people noticed i i i guess in like the sort of um in the sort of new york times um passive-aggressive tense, it would be, we surfaced, the policies right. were surfaced. the policies were
0: surfaced. Effectively, what happened is the Diocese of Marquette published a policy in June or July. And then last week, uh, a priest named Father James Martin uh, tweeted um, a link to these policies and implied that they suggested that, being, that identifying as transgender or having gender dysphoria is a sin and criticized the policies f- for that purpose. And that tweet um, generated a lot of media controversy about the thing.
1: Right. And uh, anyway... Um, and so we talked a little bit about that. We also talked a little bit about some of the the language which appeared theologically and canonically and practically ambiguous in places and all that stuff. But the you know the sort well, of the abiding of what, sorry go ahead well so the abiding takeaway of all of that <laughs> was really why is the diocese of Marquette having to make policy on this that mm-hmm. you know it's not like the Upper Peninsula of Michigan is um,
0: well known as a center of tra- of uh, transgender yeah. living in America in, right. insofar as I know.
1: Exactly, um, and, and and so you know we were talking about that and uh, sort of asking, well, why, you know, why isn't there? Guidance on this. Why hasn't the church said something more coherent? And you know, we, as you said, you've been sort of fascinated with you know trying. I've been to,
0: interested in the USCCB document that wasn't for a long time, and it's it may even sort of be my white whale in that I've long yeah. sort of tried to get it. And for all the documents we've get, I've never been able to get that one.
1: Right, and we knew there was likely some kind of CDF document because um, in 2018, 2019 the Congregation for Catholic Education came out with this. Um, Either long statement or short document, however you want to call it, yeah. um, on on basically gender issues, uh, transgenderism, sort of gender identity stuff, um, and and what would come under the sort of broader secular heading of LGBT issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was a lot more coherent and I think a lot more firm than a lot of people were expecting, um, but it also was quite short. And it was a sort of statement of principles rather than a practical vade mecum of, you know, well, and here's how you minister to transgender people in, in parish life or in Catholic schools or in things like that. Um, that this was a sort of, you know, statement in principle of principle about principles. And what the congregation for Catholic education said at the time is saying, you know, well, you know, there's going to be another thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the CDF's working on their big one-stop shop, systematic, right right and and so we'd been sort of waiting for this, and it you know it just never arrived, but we knew it was supposed to arrive and usually if something is supposed to arrive and it doesn't, it means that it doesn't mean that it never happened. it usually just means that it never was published right and so we started nosing around and as it happens, we got a copy of it or at least a copy of it um,
0: we got a copy of a draft that was circulated yeah. in two thousand and eighteen. Um, among senior curial officials. And that was, it sounds to us like very close to being approved. And we don't know effectively why, uh, what happened after that.
1: Well, we don't know what happened after that. We don't know why it um, never made it out of a drawer. We don't know why it wasn't promulgated or more widely circulated or sent to U.S. bishops or anything else. I mean, it seems unlikely that this thing was written and drafted and all the work that went into it was for no purpose and it was sort of sort of a dry run and never intended to get off the ground. That seems very unlikely. Um, it seems very unlikely that the CDF would go to the bother of stopping the USCCB not once but at least twice from issuing their own guidance on a sensitive subject that, again, would appear to be crying out for coherent guidance
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, unless they were serious about having their own uh, document on this. You don't put it out for consultation unless you're planning on um, putting it out. So, I mean... You know, the the why it didn't get off the ground or over the finish line is is interesting. On the one hand, timing is probably a factor that, you know, we know this was circulating around senior curial departments in sort of the end of 2018, which is right in the middle of the McCarrick dumpster fire. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I can well understand why the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith would think, I don't know that right now is the moment we want to put out a document on LGBT issues maybe we want to just take a breath and do, you know, let the other stuff have the field and finish that conversation and then we'll move on. And I can understand in 2019, we had Vos Estes Lux Mundi, we had the Pope's sort of, you know, international jamboree of bishops conferences on um, on responses to the abuse crisis and Episcopal accountability. So that sort of wipes out the first half of 2019, at least. And then you had um, a a sort of I don't want to say a pitched battle, but you had some interdepartmental tensions following the promulgation of Vos Estes on its application and who gets what cases and the sort of new laws that it creates and new categories that it defines and everything. And I know that was taking up a lot of attention at the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith uh, in in those months. You know, you throw on top of that, the sort of one day, eventually, predicate Evangelium, the new constitution for the Roman Curia, Like, I can see how this gets, how, you know, this thing has a sort of launch window, and then they miss the window because of McCarrick, and then it just never comes back
0: up again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have heard from people who who say they think that that effectively the CDF kind of lost its... People who are close to the situation who say, from their view, the CDF effectively lost its nerve, that they didn't want to tackle a controversial issue. There is a way in which one can look at it and just say, it's possible it never became the right time. Right. And I've talked to people who say that the USCCB document is not, has not been brought up for a vote, not explicitly because the CDF asked them not to move forward with it, but because you know I've heard from people who say, no, in, in that case, it wasn't the right time, and the USCCB might move on as well. That part, of the, part of what is going on in this story is you, you, you see different perspectives from different sort of institutions that seem to, um, at least in some cases, sort of say, well, it's on those guys. The next move is on those guys. The next step is on those guys. And so you you do see what could look like bureaucratic finger pointing a little bit about sort of who is supposed to do what next and these kind of things. Um, But as a result of that, it's potentially, you know, a matter that could be sort of retaken up by the USCCB or potentially a matter that the the CDF could move forward on. Now, you know, the USCCB has had a very, very fractious year and um, seems to be moving forward on a pathway that many bishops have said, hey, we think over the course of a fractious year dealing with the Biden stuff, the Eucharistic Coherence Document, we have found a way to talk through and work out and work through issues in a better way. We we had these executive sessions. They allowed us to talk. We had this process of regional meetings and consultations that allowed bishops to have a lot more input. If the USCCB wanted to take this up, um, it could become sort of a test of that concept. Um, But there might also be a sense like, well... We want to focus on the Eucharistic Revival, and we don't want to do any—we're a little bit—we're uh, still a little bruised from the last year, and we don't want to take up anything, uh, you know, controversial.
1: Right. Well, and, and let's be clear. This is about as controversial as it gets. If you're the yeah. USCCB mm-hmm. and you've just had the year you've had, the one thing you don't want to do is is deal—have as anything on the docket that's of the remotest interest to the Washington Post—
0: Right, exactly, yeah, because right.
1: that you know as soon as you you know sort of stray over the line into that corner of the Venn diagram of interest, then you I mean this is what happened to the Diocese of Marquette is you know the, the it was out in july it 's not like they went out with big fanfare looking for attention, but you know all it takes is James Martin to pour gasoline on you in a tweet, and you know you 're done now you've got you know now you 're trapped in a news cycle with you know every major secular news outlet trying to say you know call you i don 't know transphobes or whatever it is. Um, so I totally get it if the USCCB would be like, why why would we possibly we want now, to slam our hand in that car door over and over again? You've got to be kidding me. Now, here's the why. I, well, I was about to say, and here's the why. But here's the why, really, why the CDF needs to just, you know, find its filing cabinet, pull this back out, <laughs> and get it off the ground. Because this is not like the diocese. I doubt very much that the diocese of Marquette just said... Well, I don't really have much to do, so why don't I just come up with a theoretical answer to a problem that nobody has? That this, you know, came, I'm sure, was a response to a pastoral issue or a growing set of pastoral issues in the diocese. And if it is becoming a pressing issue, a pressing enough issue in a rural diocese like Marquette. That it needed a policy response. It's absolutely a pressing issue in places that have, you know, a much um, larger populations or a much more urban setting. You know, you better believe this is a problem in New York or LA. Um, I don't or, know
0: the degree to which you know. I mean, I don't know what what prompted the Marquette thing. I found myself I don't wondering, know either, but I find it know, difficult to believe what that prompted it prompted the promulgation. It, it's plausible that it was sort of genuinely something that priests and Marquette were asking for. It's also plausible that this is an area of interest for the Bishop of Marquette, who was a long-time courage chaplain and who wanted to sort of, because the first two-thirds of the Marquette policy is about sort of, pastoral care for people who identify as LGBT. And uh, right. and so, um, you know, it's possible that he wanted to get some things sort of said uh, from his point of view about pastoral care for people who identify as LGBT, and the norms, the dispositive section kind of came out of that. With that said, what we do know, because people have now been telling us for, for quite some time, is that starting in 2016 or 2017 US bishops were asking for guidance yeah. on this so that it wouldn't be something that a local a local diocese would not have to know can a person who um identifies as tra- who identifies as trans per- who um you know is biologically a man but has or has not had surgery and um presents as a woman with a woman's name can such a person be um uh re- go to the eucharist in that circumstance you know can such a person um, present their child for baptism. There are, I think, answers. Some answers that come out of the universal law of the church, and then there are some answers that require, I think, some uh, you know judgments and um, and or some uh, proper interpretation of the law, which has to be done at the level of
1: the legislator, which is the Holy See,
0: right? And also some um, reflection on Christian anthropology and some distinctions to be made and. You know, um, it's understandable that bishops are saying, "Look, I'm not sure that I'm equipped here at the diocese to do that, and I'm looking for a sort of guidance or something more sort of, or I don't want to be out on a limb." You know what I mean? Part of right. it is part of what bishops look for when the USCCB does something or the Holy See does something, and it's I'm not sure that I, when I'm saying this is wrong. Is cover? I don't want to be out on a limb. Oh, in this it's way, absolutely and I'd like a the safety the Holy See to thing. address this, right? I mean, yeah. Absolutely. So I'd like the Holy See to address this because, um, you know, this is not something that I should have to sort of take the. Be the be the um, well, and the you also want sort of to know that
1: in the it, it's a double thing. One, you want the the sort of safety in numbers while you do the thing, but you also want the cover of the next rung up the food chain in advance, so you know they're not going to hang you out to dry.
0: Right? Exactly. Or yeah, that's exactly right. It's the reason why, if a pastor were in a difficult pastoral situation like this, he would um, prudently call the chancery, and it's the reason why it's understandable. It's not sort of timidity or something like that. If a bishop were in this situation, he might prudently want to get the CDF's take. Right, exactly. And so, I mean, they need to, they, by they,
1: I mean, I think the CDF need to move their document, which, you know, again, we've got and we've read, and we've reported on, and it's a very interesting document. Um, They need to move that back up their list of priorities, not just because this is something that people have been asking for for a number of years but because the alternative is if they don't then you're going to end up with more dioceses having to bring in their own policies and those dioceses are not always going to see eye to eye some of them are going to have radically divergent contradictory even deliberately confrontational
0: yeah that's the issue right is in what way could something like this become an obstacle to um to ecclesial unity or in what way can it become something in which dioceses are even sort of Perform you saw this with the Morsel I mean, yeah. ways in which dioceses were effectively performatively developing policies mm-hmm. for Morsel TT because they had some things they wanted to say, and um, and that fundamentally is just yeah. It, and it, what we
1: it's don't need is you know helpful. Yeah, we don't. What we do not need is the diocese to take to completely at random of say San Diego and Tyler. Um, issuing competing <laughs> norms on this, because that's going to serve nobody. And, you know, we're going to end up right back where we started. Who it's the not going
0: to serve most of all is, I mean, I, look, it's not I have serve no the, idea. The
1: most pe- people who will not serve or will serve least effectively are the people that these, most, these policies are supposed They're to supposed be, be actually aimed addressed. to right, exactly help.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, exactly. They will yeah, make them exactly. pawns. It will make them pawns right.
1: in another game of ecclesiastical politics, and you'll have, you know, um, very shrill and angry op-eds from the usual suspects saying, you know, these people are being marginalized or even while they are themselves using them as, you know, bait, and we don't want that. Right. It would be nice if the pastoral provision of the church especially when touching things like the sacraments could actually be pastoral. And the easiest way to do that is to not let the situation get out of hand in the first place.
0: I think that's right. I do think, yeah, I do think that um, the CDF segment, uh, that which we saw It may be the McCarrick factor, you know, just one thing that came after another. It may be this notion that the CDF sort of lost its nerve and didn't want to get into this fight. It may touch on Germany, actually. It may be that this would have been, you know, one thing that we haven't talked about is the way in which promulgating that policy in 2018 would have, um, which was an instruction. So when we say policy, it's an instruction. It's a clarification of existing law, not new legislation. But promulgating an instruction in 2018 would have met, been met with immediate sort of Vociferous and near unanimous um, pushback from Germany, and and the the church has been trying to the, the Holy See has been trying to be both um, to ha- to be both carrot and stick in terms of sort of preserving ecclesial unity with the German bishops who seem on a pathway through the synodal path to you know the possibility of of of, um, of real issues of um, of separation or um, or uh, uh, um, <laughs> potentially even schism. Uh, and so it we, may. We be can that say they're in a, danger of schism. Yeah, Cardinal Casper said schism, right? it at this point. Yeah, and yeah if that's If Cardinal Caspar is saying <laughs> it, then it's real. Then we can say it. So, um, at, to the degree that that's true, it may in fact be that Germany was a deciding factor and sort of let's hold off on this because it would be another front on the Germany fight. But with that said, even that, you know, while it may have been thought of as kind of a prudent um, decision, it uh, it does it has real effects for. People in pastoral ministry who are looking for sort of guidance, but also clarity about how they ought to act, and also um, people who are looking to have a pastoral relationship with the church. Yeah. Yeah. And people deserve that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I agree. So we reported about that. You can read about it at pillarcatholic.com, and uh, we may have some follow-up reporting. As I said, I have been interested kind of, Ed, in the USCCB document on this stuff that wasn't for... um, for for a while, and um, and and as I say, it's kind of funny to me. It's like uh, um, there are lots of thing documents that we've been able to obtain over um, the time our time as journalists in partnership with just one another. But
1: let me I let have, me help you. I think I know what you're trying to say. If any of you, dear listeners, have a copy have of a the USCCBs, please <laughs> just send it to JD. <laughs> He's got a proton mail account. You can do it anonymously. It's fine. But he'd oh, really really like to see it.
0: I'd, I'd really like to see it. I really would. Yeah. Thank you, Ed. You're mm-hmm. welcome. Great. I, I okay. could
1: sense you dancing around that there. And I just could wanted you... to. Yeah. Of course, you say there might be some follow-up reporting. You know, it is uh, It is December 17th. It is Friday, December 17th. And sometime in the next two weeks, we're going to have our pillar board meeting. And, uh,
0: you know, we're coming up on our one year. We're the pillar board. The I know. pillar board meeting is us. This is it. This is the meeting.
1: No, we don't tend to have the meeting on the. We actually. So I think to, we may have done, more than one. We once have done past. This is the this board one.
0: Meeting. Yeah, exactly. No, but I think. But we are coming up on one year. In fact, it was. Go ahead.
1: Oh, I was going to say. I think it's today or yesterday was the one year anniversary of uh, me quitting my job, which would mean yesterday or the day before was a one year anniversary of you quitting. Your job,
0: in order for us to na- initiate, yeah. inaugurate this year of journalism, which we've been able to do and which has been great and very blessed, and thank you, uh, sub- listeners and subscribers who make it possible for us to continue doing that.
1: Wow, are they going to make it possible for us to continue? Are to- they going to make it possible for I, us to continue? I was, doing I was that? You, you've I been stepping all over. I've been trying to gently build some listen. suspense here. Like, will huh? there be a ut- year two? Oh, will, will there, there be? be?
0: Well, I mean, I, the viability of this project is predicated upon those who. Love it and support it, and I think our listeners already know that.
1: I, I think it's fair to say that the viability of this project is in the not-too-dim-and-distant future, we need to have as many paying subscribers as we have yeah, regular listeners true. to this podcast.
0: That's true. Okay. The next thing that I, I think that is very true, the next thing that I want to talk about, and I just want to talk about it for a little while, because believe it or not, we're really kind of rolling through the time here, is um, s- something that we haven't reported on yet, but something which I find interesting, um, in which there have been sort of rumors about, um, the Diocese of Rome released uh, a sort of interpretive policy of *Traditionis Custodes*. Um, that uh, *Traditionis Custodes* is the Holy Father's uh, *motu proprio* of July, which um, limits the celebration of the extraordinary form of the Mass, the traditional Latin Mass, if you will, and um, requires various kinds of permissions from dio- diocesan bishops and limits the number of places where the extraordinary form can be offered and these kinds of things. Um, it has been um, very controversial among those Catholics who go to the traditional Latin mass, the um, the extraordinary form, if you will, and um, and the degree to which that is a controversy in the whole church, you know, there are many people who say, well, this is a very small percentage of people in the church. Uh, I don't know the percentage of people who, go, who practice the faith who go to the extraordinary form, but... Um, there are not an insignificant number of people who go to, you know, who worship in the extraordinary form. And we know that because we see, we had seen prior to the promulgation of Traditiones Castones, more and more dioceses where the traditional Latin Mass, as it were, was offered, where um, parishes or chapels staffed by religious orders sort of dedicated to offering the traditional Latin Mass were were, um, erected, established, or where chapels were entrusted to them. And so, you know, we can see this as as a... Whatever the percentage of it is, of practicing Catholics it is, and by the way, we're, we're planning right now with some researchers a very kind of comprehensive study of of um, the demographics of people who attend the traditional Latin Mass that will begin um, in the new year. Um, but whatever the percentage of practicing Catholics is, there's a not insignificant number of, of Catholics who who prefer to worship according to the traditional Latin Mass, the extraordinary form, which is effectively the Mass uh, according to the Missal before the Second Vatican Council. Um so the Diocese of Rome uh, issued a policy which implements *Traditionis Custodes* by prohibiting the celebration of a number of kind of other sacraments in the extraordinary form. Um, uh, that would make it—I don't—I think would make it. Um, I think you would need permission of the bishop, or maybe it would not even be possible to be married in the extraordinary form, to have confirmations in the extraordinary form, these kinds of things, and which would prohibit the celebration of the extraordinary form during the Easter Triduum. And um, many Catholics who have a great adherence to the extraordinary form have raised objection to this, and there have been rumors that what the Diocese of Rome has done will will at some point become sort of promulgated as normative for the Universal Latin Church. And so there has been a lot of kind of pushback on that over the past, I would say, week. This is something that's just emerged maybe in the last week or last couple of days, and you know, we've been hearing from a lot of people who are adherents of the extraordinary form in one way or another who have been expressing concern about all this. Ed, what are your thoughts? Um... My thoughts
1: are, we said in July, when this motu proprio came out, uh, that there was going to be more to come, that there was much of its interpretation and implementation, which was ambiguous, ill-defined, poorly phrased, uh, open to wildly divergent if not outright contradictory interpretations and so that eventually this would have to be clarified that something would come out of the congregation for divine worship and that's you know what we seem to be anticipating now is that there will be this uh, instructional tool on the interpretation of Trudisionus Custodis. I think um, there's no I don't think it's a secret and I don't even think it requires um, all that much inference to say that the Diocese of Rome which is the Pope's own diocese and is run by a cardinal who is, shall we say, very close to the Holy Father and very eager to see his will carried out in his own backyard, Um, that this is, you know, effectively a a leading by example exercise of this is how the Pope wants it done. This is how the Pope is doing it in his own backyard. This is how he expects you to do it. Um, What I find interesting about this is how very un-Vatican II it all is, which is, you know, Possibly sounds discordant because the whole idea is that it's restricting the celebration of the pre-Vatican II. I was just
0: about to say that it sounds discordant,
1: but it's completely. I mean, if this if this um, instruction does end up shaking out from CDW, and it does look like a sort of universalization of what's going on in the diocese of Rome, then what you are looking at here is a level of centralization that I can't think of an obvious last time this happened for, um, certainly preconciliar, I would say, to effectively dictate to every diocesan bishop in the world, this is how you are going to govern the liturgy down to the parish level in your diocese is a very, very significant scaling back of the recognition of the autonomy and dignity of office of the diocesan bishop, which was one of the found fundamental principles of the Second Vatican Council, that, you know, the entire reason the church adopted this language was sort of permanently conciliar church was one of the things the church went into Vatican II saying is we need to rediscover the dignity and, um, you know, sort of completeness of the ministry, the perfection of the ministry of the diocesan bishop, that this has been lost over the years, and it's been sort of covered up by in part, you know, centuries of legislation and instructions coming out from Rome that had basically reduced the the role of the diocesan bishop in practice, if not in theology, to sort of branch managers. And one of the great works of the Second Vatican Council was to say, no, these are the successors of the apostles, that particular churches, that is diocese, are exactly that. They are particular churches. They have um, an identity and a dignity and, uh, you know, a personality unto themselves under their bishop. And it's not right for the church to sort of have a, a homogenizing view where it's just, you know, a thousand McDonald's branches where everyone's the same. So if we do end up seeing an instruction on Traditionis Custodis that resembles what people keep talking about and predicting um, and basically says you're going to do how it's done here in in Rome, I mean, this is a big deal. It is, it is a very not Vatican II idea that is being promoted. Now, I mean, you can... Um, His preeminence, Archbishop Roach, the prefect for the CDW, um, he is a man with a reputation for having a um, certain—well, he's a northern Englishman, J.D. He can can be a little bit uh, bullish, Mm -hmm. you could say, and I could see him having the kind of disposition that wouldn't necessarily have um, much time for— the sensitivities of ecclesiology around Vatican II and the need to understand that it's not simply a, a question of you write a letter telling every diocese bishop in the world, here's how you're going to do it. Um, but th- that may be what we get anyway. I just, I think it would be a, a very, very bitter irony if, in the name of protecting quote unquote the liturgical reforms of the council, the CDW ended up um, taking a very firm and aggressive stance against an even more important reform of the council, which was the rediscovery of the importance of the, the diocese and the role of the diocesan bishop, which is what underpins the idea, the entire idea of a conciliar church or a synodal church hinges on the college of bishops. And if if you're gonna steamroller that because you don't like how somebody says mass, then I mean that's a it's a total inversion of the priorities of the council.
0: That's really well said. I have nothing to add.
1: You're trolling me.
0: I'm not trolling you. I really have nothing to add. <laughs> huh? We're coming close on time. I, uh, I I'm had one more idea that I was thinking about talking about, but I think actually you, you have a you have a hard stop. You have an appointment, um, and uh, and so. Um, I do have an appointment to which I need to go in about 15 minutes, it's true. Yeah, so uh, I want to make sure that we have time. Ed, would you like to play a game? I'd be delighted to play a game. I, I realize that our listeners like it when we play a game. And this is, you know. So um, I have the possibility of two games. Um, one uh, a Christmastide game and one an ecclesiastical game. And we might end up playing them both, but um, I'd like to give you the, the choice of which one you'd like to play uh, first, I suppose. Uh, well, let's
1: save the Christmastide game. On the off chance we end up doing a, an episode next week.
0: Okay, although it's possible we may end up um, doing it as well today because it's the kind of thing that people really like. Okay. We'll, we'll play an okay. ecclesiastical game. This Let's ecclesiastical, the ecclesiastical game was born out of a, a <laughs> friend of mine, a mutual friend of ours, uh, who was, um, who was uh, texting me the other day, um, basically complaining about the way that a particular kind of ecclesiastical word is pronounced and pointing out to me something which is true, which is that sometimes pronunciations of ecclesiastical words can betray an entire sort of ecclesiological viewpoint or an entire sort of ecclesiological viewpoint uh, or an entire sort of... Oh, is this uh, kind of like how you
1: can tell what kind of... uh, you could tell in Americans' politics by how they pronounce the word Guatemala?
0: Yes, quite so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something like that. And that exists in the church too. And then sometimes... A difference of pronunciations is just a cigar. You know, sometimes there's nothing to it except what it is. Um, and uh, and so um, I have de- devised a list of, uh, of differences in either pronunciation or vocabulary to express the same thing. Some of which I think, you know, might have political connotations and some of them which might not. So the game is this or that. I'll give you either two pronunciations okay. or two words for the same concept. And you'll choose which one you prefer. And then if you'd like to offer a comment or two on what you think the difference is... Uh, might signify Ooh, you're welcome to do so I love this this is going to be a great game yeah so ecclesiastical this or that okay um Ed um, and we're gonna begin with the one that my friend pointed out to us um Ed synodal or synodal synodal really yes why is that
1: I just think that's I mean this is a this is rooted in the Greek and it, it, it's synodus. I, you know, I, j- I just think that's it's like people who say homosexual instead of homosexual. It's just they don't know they're Greek because it's, you know, homo, same, not homo, man, which is Latin, not Greek. You know, it, I think it's okay. synodal.
0: Well, I think it's synodal, but it doesn't matter. Um, Ed, um, presbyterate or presbyterate? Oh, presbyterate. Who says yeah, "prisbeater"? Oh, you hear people say at sometimes. No, I've just, never heard that. Oh, I hear it. Oh, I hear it, buddy. But You got
1: it correct. Is this a regional dialect? Is this just how I don't they, know.
0: It might be. Because you, you will recognize oh, like the and accept, I presume. Council, and you'll be like, what is the Presbyterity Council? No. Right? Uh,
1: yeah, right. Exactly. No, I was, would stop someone if they said that. I'd stop them and see what's going on here. Um, but is, I mean, is this regional? Because, I mean, you will accept as someone who's not from there, but who's lived there a long time and has also sort of lived there and then gone away and come back. There is such a thing as a Denver accent. You will.
0: I would agree, but I don't think it's in Denver that I've heard people say Presbyter. Okay. But yeah, there okay. is definitely
1: a Denver lilt that that people who. Do I have it? No, you don't.
0: I am I live here. You, you do, do live here, time. but
1: you have not adopted the Denver. I mean, there are people I know who are from Denver, who live elsewhere, who um, who still have
0: when I know I, a lot of Denverites. I know a lot of Denverites who end sentences with so. Well, I'm from Denver, so and it's like so, <laughs> so yeah. Okay, so now we're getting into a couple of them that might uh, have more that, that might sig- be more inclined to signify, and we're also going to get into some that are not just pronunciation, but are also um, vocabulary. Okay. So Ed, um, TLM or extraordinary form? Uh,
1: I say extraordinary form because it is it is the more. Correct.
0: I do too, although I'm not sure in the wake of traditionis It seems that some people say that traditionis custodis has effectively suppressed that term, but I continue to use it. And, and I don't continue to use it as a sort of. It's, it's just made it even more to... extraordinary as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Right, yeah. Okay. Um, these are two ways that people talk about ordination that I, I think signify a lot and I find very interesting. Um, Ed, joined the priesthood or became a priest? Became a priest. Became a priest. Uh, there, there, there's a generational shift there where I used to hear, oh, and I still hear older guys talk about joining the priesthood, oh. which bespeaks a sort a certain kind of institutional, uh, um, you know, viewpoint of the whole thing. Uh, it, it also probably bespeaks positive things like much, much more clarity about. Um, fraternity among a presbyterate; yeah, okay. these kinds of things. You're um, being
1: charitable, and so what I was going to say is, what that <laughs> what that immediately says to me is, if someone speaks about joining the priesthood, it shows that what they're primarily viewing it as is the joining of the clerical class. See,
0: I not don't know. Becoming I, I, a priest? I,
1: I... No, you don't join the priesthood. You become a priest because it is an ontological change that the sacrament confers a character that you I, I become a, you a priest. You
0: do become a priest, but I'm not sure that you I necessarily join the clergy. Think... People who say join the priesthood are thinking about those things just because I don't think they're thinking about it that much. Uh, yeah, but you and see, it's down to their education, thinking, J.D. It was, yeah, you know, of course. The, the concrete what was poured may early. be thinking about is kind of the fraternity of the thing and, the, and a kind of institutionalized viewpoint of the whole thing. A human But viewpoint. I think we're both solidly in the camp of become a priest. Yes. Good. Glad to hear it. Okay. And,
1: um,
0: viaticum or viaticum? Viaticum. Oh, wow. We're ooh. Augustine or Augustine? Augustine. Good. Great. Now, Ed, Wait, who says Augustine? I hear it. Really?
1: Yeah. I mean, now, I Ed, knew an Augustine. I know I, an Augustine, I should say. He didn't die I think or anything. I Protestants
0: say it more often, but I hear it. But I think Protestants say it more often. Huh. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, now, Ed. Confession or reconciliation or penance? Um.
1: Okay, so it is, properly speaking, the sacrament of penance.
0: And in a technical, when I'm speaking about it technically, that is the way that I would use it.
1: And I would insist in, in our copy that we we use penance, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. because that mm-hmm. is the technical term. Right. Um, but nobody goes to penance. Right? right, one goes to confession. Yeah, one goes to confession. Reconciliation, I, it, it's a very, and this is a pure I'm about to say I'm,
0: I can feel myself. Please forgive in. us, listeners, because I, I think I'm about to walk agree. right face first into a table saw. Giving about this going opinion, to reconciliation. I'm highly suspect. It speaks to me. An it speaks to of me. No, you not know it, it bespeaks kategories.
1: to me exactly the kind of suburban theology, light parish, grade school education that I received.
0: With, with and with that said, many people probably who do not who. Hold a very good theology and have great sort of relation, or great sort of interior life and relationship with the Lord. Picked up the term and continued to use right. it. So, hey, listeners, hey, 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 yeah.
1: don't blow us up here. Don't, buscar, yeah, <laughs> no, no personal judgments. This is <laughs> just right, what right. it
0: means to me, right? Which is along the lines of the term itself. But yeah, I would use penance in a technical way in confession in a in a sort of I'm going to confession. Yes, okay. I think I know where you're going to land on this one. Um, when people talk about offering mass. Um, they might talk about, and and you. I heard this actually, um, th- I heard both of these th- terms used among the bishops when they were talking about the Eucharistic revival. I heard bishops who talked about celebrating the Eucharist, and then I heard bishops who talked about celebrating Eucharist. Ed, celebrate the Eucharist or celebrate Eucharist?
1: The Eucharist. Thank you. It takes a definite article. The sort of people who say celebrating Eucharist are exactly the same sort of people who say being church. Being church. That's it's exactly just what a. I was say. It's just a. It's a very it's a, yeah. hippie-ish but affectation,
0: signifi- but it is a signifier of a lot of oh, things, isn't it? Yeah. it? But that's my point:
1: is it is it is a completely contrived one to act as a signifier. <laughs> I I've dropped the definite so. article, so <laughs> you know, that, darling, so that you I'm know that be, I have a more over here being is. the heck out of church,
0: <laughs> and I want you to know, I, you know, give me a break. Now this one I suspect has Grammar far less should po- not be political people, yeah, I do think that it takes an article this one I think has far less political connotation although I could be wrong um at Philemon or Philemon Philemon oh you couldn't be more wrong
1: Ed, <laughs> that's entirely possible I have no, that's pure shooting from the hip there. I have no were, skin yeah, I don't hanging. know
0: i I don't know but if you grew up um uh a Protestant as I did uh in an, in a little church and you knew, knew a song to memorize the books of the Bible as I did then um you knew that the song went Titus and Philemon, in Hebrews James. First and okay, now that you so, told
1: me it's Protestant, I'm immediately suspicious and doubling Philemon down doesn't on
0: my, fit. Titus and Phil. It may not fit, but Hebrews, I've never met a Protestant so who knew Greek. Greek, right? But um, they knew the name of the book because it's right there in the song. You can't possibly use Philimon. You just told me to, that
1: they say Augustine or
0: something because <laughs> it fits in the song. It fits in their song about oh. justification. They have a what is song this, like, about the Nifty United States song, but for the Bible. Well, you don't know. You don't know. There's a You know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Judges, Ruth, First and Second. You don't know? Well, this i mean,
1: your, your song is wrong. I'm just going to go out on the limb and say, is the Book of Tobit in the Book of Esther? No, in your song? no, no,
0: no, no, no. They're not. That's in, that's wrong. They're it's wrong. It's a in. heretical they, they, yeah, song, right. so heretical JD. Song, so there's an appendix denying the, song. the true there's canon of the t- scripture. Right? Okay, so the New Testament song is fine. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, excellent letters right? okay, to the Roman. And actually, there are two tunes to the old and song. There's another heresy. You can't
1: separate the old
0: and new testament, JD. Person, they are one coherent whole of revelation. There are two tunes. Actually, there are two tunes to both songs. And I'll I'll confess something now, and then be reconciled. Um I judged as a young man um as a as a young boy I suppose at, uh, at at our little church I judged the heck out of people who used the other tune like they were in my mind uh, really? verging on heresy mm-hmm. that's a, that's remarkable <laughs> Uh anyhow veil or valley uh I am assuming this is for prayers to our lady Mhm Vale. Yes, my, me too. I'm a veil man. Although veil and valley effectively mean the same thing, so there's no issue there. They did,
1: uh, they do. Although, um, so I say veil because my grandmother said veil, um, and you know, I'm a good Irish Catholic boy, like Joe Biden. Um, and so, obviously, I learned you know proper prayers from from my grandmother. Um, although I didn't think I, I thought it, I did I I thought it meant veil as in like veiling and unveiling. I oh, thought it was, yeah. for the longest time, I thought it was, you know, this veil of tears. I thought it honestly meant, like, you know, oh. through a through glass but dimly. I honestly oh, thought I it was like that. I
0: was like, I yeah, see. this veil that gets pulled away. Yeah, that's, that's you know. No, you were wrong. I was wrong. Yeah. Okay. I'm just going to give you a quick round of yes or no on some Christmas um, uh, pieces of music and um, film. Okay. The Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer television Christmas special. I hate it. Okay. This
1: is a real confession it's on my part know. because I watch it every year. You know, I've watched Why? it every year since I was a child. You don't
0: have to do that anymore. I
1: hate it. I hate it. I like parts of it. This is the problem, J.D., is there's just enough of it that you want it to be redeemed. Like Yukon Cornelius <laughs> is a great character, and I don't mm-hmm. want to lose him. I don't want to say goodbye to him. But they, it makes everyone who actually is supposedly connected to the celebration of Christmas at the North Pole a trash person or reindeer.
0: And you know, yeah, they're I really d- not good. Okay, the Frosty cartoon Christmas special. No, the Mickey Christmas Carol. No, the Mariah Carey Christmas. I, I tell the truth. No, I no tell the truth. Maybe a little. Okay, I thought. Muppet Christmas Carol. Are you just saying that for the for the audience or? Maybe a little. Do you
1: know what I did last year? I was at my parents' house for a few days last year, and on I don't know whatever streaming app it was. I, maybe it was the Netflix. Maybe it was Disney or um, Hulu or whatever it is. Um, but there was a Dolly Parton Christmas special on, and I like as a joke in the middle of the afternoon, I put it on because everyone loves Dolly Parton. Um, but the but there was very little Dolly Parton in it. Like, she just sort of showed up as doing interstitial narration every five seconds. And, but like, yeah. all the songs were for other people. And it was terrible. The mm-hmm. singing was terrible. The choreography was terrible. The sets were cardboard. I mean, it was just, it was awful, awful, awful. But as members of my family kept coming through and expressing disgust at me that I had on Dolly Parton's Christmas special, I sort of just hardened my position. I was like, no, we're not changing it. Sure. We're watching this. We've opened this sure. can. We're going to eat the whole thing. Sure. Um, and I think there's something to, really really trashy celebrity christmas specials that it's just like it's so bad you kind of you know you can't look away
0: i get it And a little bit help. of mariah
1: carey i don't mind uh, put it this way everyone always blows up at this time of year but you know i don't want to hear mariah carey's all i want for christmas is you i would rather listen to my, my mariah carey's all i want for christmas is you 10 times on a loop than listen to half of Paul McCartney's simply having a wonderful Christmas time.
0: That's why it's not on my list because it's terrible. Okay. Uh speaking of sort of trashy celebrity Christmas television specials, the Muppet Christmas Carol.
1: Five star, gold plated, <laughs> definitive <laughs> telling of the tale.
0: Yeah, the Avril. Michael Levine Kane Christmas. and Kermit mm-hmm. the Frog. Very good. What more do you need? We're moving on, buddy. The Avril Levine Christmas album.
1: Never heard it, immediately interested.
0: <laughs> Smart. A Weezer Christmas. No. Not their best. Really no. not their best. No. no. You know, not – and we – I know that there are some people who listen to the show who are big Weezer fans. In fact, I know that there's a very small Venn diagram of bishops who listen to the show who are also big Weezer fans, and they might love the Weezer Christmas album, but they are wrong. Your Excellencies, this is your worst opinion. Um, <laughs> the Hallmark movie A Christmas Prince, and I know we're going to hear from them, by the way. No. No. Yeah. No, I, uh, I'm not, I, Hallmark
1: movies are where I leave you.
0: Christmas Prince is very good. Um, the 1996 album uh, produced, uh, sort of, uh, given the same name as the record label which produced it, Ed a Death Row Christmas or Christmas on Death Row. Absolutely, West Coast Roll. Yeah, it was, it was a good good up. Okay, uh, the Jolly Christmas of Frank Sinatra. No, thank you. Uh, Ed the movie film White Christmas. Absolutely. Ed the Rosemary Pentateuch. Clooney. I don't need I
1: don't to know. say more. Okay. Rosemary Clooney.
0: Which one is she? The serious one or the other one?
1: Rosemary Clooney was the
0: I They're both blonde.
1: No, Rosemary Clooney has strawberry blonde. I I I'm not we're not no. I
0: Which one was she? Was she the sister or the other sister?
1: She was the primary sister.
0: The, I don't know that you can say that there was a primary sister. There was.
1: There, there was, was she there was Bing a...
0: Crosby's um, girlfriend or was she Danny Kaye's girlfriend?
1: Bing Crosby's. That's what I mean. She was oh, the okay. lead girlfriend.
0: Okay. Betty Hayes. Yes. Okay. Great. Okay. Great. What's the other girl's name?
1: Uh, in the. Uh, um...
0: Yeah, I don't know either.
1: No, no, no. I'm trying to remember the actress. I, she scared me, even as a child when I watched that movie, because she was very, very thin. And there was the scene...
0: Judy. Judy Haynes.
1: Judy. That's it. Um, and, yeah, and she but was she, Danny
0: Kaye's girlfriend. Danny... Uh,
1: I mean, you, it's not acceptable to like Holiday Inn because it has some very, very culturally inappropriate things in it that are wrong and are not redeemable. It's just a shame that the result is we've ended up with Danny Kaye instead of Fred Astaire. I wish we could have made White Christmas with Fred Astaire.
0: Oh, that would be interesting. Okay. I had never known of that as a possibility. Ed, the musical stylings of a group you only ever hear about at Christmas, the Pentatonics. I don't
1: know. I don't know.
0: Okay, well, you'll find out in my newsletter on Tuesday. (laughs) Ed, um, the WPIX American classic, The Yule Log. I no it's just a tv I show of a log burning in a fireplace oh no right that's there. ridiculous oh you're crazy start you're a fire away. people it's not hard <laughs> <laughs> not different as a fireplace man. i don't Some have a fireplace go out back and start a fire the pillar podcast is a production of pillar media and ed and jd production we put production in there twice i never realized that before no you I'm always say an Ed and jd
1: mutual actually i always say what an ed and jd mutual
0: there's no way i say that i've never said that in my life roll tape <laughs> The Pillar Podcast is a production of Pillar Media and Ed and JD Production. The Pillar Podcast is a production of Pillar Media and Ed and JD Production. Uh, the Pillar Podcast is a production of Pillar Media and Ed and JD Production. And the Pillar Podcast is a production of Pillar Media and Ed and JD Production. Yeah. See? The Pillar Podcast <laughs> is a production of Pillar Media and Ed and JD Joint, as it were. Um, I'm your host and Pillar Editor in Chief, J.D. Flynn. And I'm joined by my podcasting partner and uh, all around pal, Ed Condon. And this is not our Christmas episode.